leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. It is CISO Thursdays. And we already got our first comment here. Wait, wait, wait. It's April Fool's Day, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> so we make made you wait three minutes. <laughs> so I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. My awesomeness is here today. So first and foremost, the James Azar. I called you out last night, the James. Hello, hello. <laughs> and the wonderful and amazing Naomi Buckwalter. Hello, everyone. Today's my fake internet birthday. So fake birthday to me. Happy fake birthday to you. <laughs> Happy fake birthday. Happy fake birthday. Um, oh so all those uh, data breaches have all my fake information. So Sweet. it works. I know. I keep changing mine around. I give all types of different dates, years, all kinds of stuff. So Sean is here with us already. He says, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. Oh, Lord. And he's wait, listening wait, wait. to a song. That's from a song. Oh, okay. I've been waiting for this moment for all my life. Oh, it's uh, what's it called? Um, you got to pull um, it up and play it. No, it's um, it's what's his name, man. Zoe says, "Oh yeah, see so Thursdays. We are still here. We are here every. We are every week. Thursday. Every Thursday, one even on April Fools. Even on April Fools. So." Topic for today that I want to kick off with is um, I have had this habit a few times where I've had people reach out to me, um, and many of you know, I talk about it often, the reason why we um, started breaking into cybersecurity is because people are struggling so much to break into the industry. And what breaks my heart is people who have actually gotten a degree, gotten, you know, through the certifications, they put all their effort, money, time, energy into getting into new, this new career path. And then they get so frustrated by not being able to break in after a period of time. And then they just give up and they're like, you know what, this isn't worth it. I'm going to try something else. And I just think that we have to come together as, as a community to help folks you know, get into that first job, like give them their first wings, because it's so sad to have someone dedicate time, energy, effort, all of these things, and then not be able to break in. And I've had a, quite a few people reach out to me in that position. Um, and many I've, I've talked off the ledge um, to help, you know, break in or to help them like hang on a little bit longer. But I remember a lady I spoke to a believe it was about a year and a half ago. And she said that she was just going, she, she was in the US, she was doing a degree program here. And she decided to go back to, 
I want to say Brazil, like she was from somewhere in South America, if I remember correctly. And she just decided like, I'm done with this. I'm going to do something um, in that place. And it's just to me, so, so unfortunate. Um, and specifically it's people who, what I've seen, people with certifications, people with degree, you know, people doing everything that they have read and learned that they should be doing to get to this point. Um, and then really, really struggling. And so I just wanted to touch on that topic because it came across again this week and it's, it's, um, it's kind of heartbreaking. It is. I was looking at some data. I was trying to find the number of people who get, have, have given up trying to break into cybersecurity. And unfortunately, those numbers don't exist. But what we can tell you is there's 3.5 million jobs that are unfilled in cybersecurity around the world. In the United States, it's almost 300,000. Our profession is growing at about 30% year over year. So by this time next year, there's going to be, what, 30% more and then 300,000? What is that? Uh 90,000 more. Yeah, yeah but exactly. Four, almost so, 400,000. The number yeah. of three and a half million is, is, I think, a little bit exaggerated because it doesn't count the duplication of job postings through multiple job boards. Okay. It doesn't address, um, it's, um, I like to call it the clickbait headline number that people like to use because it's raw data. It's not, it's not really focused data. I think the numbers that I saw for focused data is around <laughs> like 1.8 million jobs. And out of those 1.8 million jobs, you can say that four to 500,000 could be automated by next year with, with how technology is advancing. So it's so still one point something million, though. Yeah, if we, I mean, if we, it's still. Yeah, if we still brought it all the way down, you know. That doesn't um, include like the generation of jobs, meaning the, the idea that, you know, more and more companies are going to invest in security over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, it's expected that cyber budgets will increase um, anywhere from 30 to 50% over the next, you know, 24 months. I've read that too. So I'm curious for people that are, you know, I've gotten a, a message this week saying, you know, when you guys are awesome, thank you for all you do, but uh, you know, I'm done. <laughs> and, and, it just, it's crushing, you know, people with certs and everything else. And I, I try to always do some parallels and find out, you know, when, was it hard to break into accounting at some point? You know, you have some professions that we know we have to jump through hurdles to get to the top and to get in, which makes sense. You know, I don't want anybody doing brain surgery on me and you fail biology. Like that's, <laughs> that's going to be a problem. But are there is there some kind of a way that you know we can collectively get people you know maybe interviewing sooner doing some like while they're in parallel doing their degrees and doing their certifications kind of getting more acclimated to the field so that they don't feel like i feel like some people they get to the end of the degree program and then they look up and it's like, whoa, I can't, you know, what am I doing? I have this degree. I spent all this money and now I can't do anything with it or it's so difficult. So back to your analogy with comparing it to surgery and medicine. I've heard this before too, but so say we are 
important enough to be compared to surgeons. I don't agree with that, by the way. I don't think our jobs are anywhere as important as being a doctor or surgeon. But let's just say that we are. Doctors don't just break into doctoring. They don't just break into medicine. They have, what, what 10 years of school plus residency plus like postdoctorate stuff plus whatever else. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I wouldn't even know. Then they take their board exams. Then they do their specialties, whatever it is. So they are trained in school. Then they're put into a real life situation in a hospital, in a clinic, and they work alongside professionals. And that's what's missing in our model for building new generation cybersecurity professionals. We just say, here's your education, go for it. You know, like that doesn't work. We need apprenticeships. We need uh, internships. We need people to like let people in and just guide them and train them and provide them those safe spaces for them to work on. Yet you're not working on bodies. You're not going to kill anyone. Like give them some little piece that you can work on. There's grunt work. There's junior level things in every single domain. Just give it to them. Don't be afraid to hire and train. I think that's the problem with hiring managers these days. Like we, we don't want to take on that risk and not realizing that we're hurting ourselves in the process. Ken Underhill, a few episodes, I, I think we were on either an episode or I was on one of his shows. He talked about um, pathways, right, into security that there's, we, and, and because I, equ- I tend to equate it to medicine a, a lot sometimes, or it's, it's easy to do so sometimes. Um, he's like, you know, people get certifications. They get, you know, like there's, there's levels. There's a real pecking order in that hospital or in that medical profession. You know, you want to be a brain surgeon, you're going to be in school for 12, 15 years, whatever it is. You want to be, you know, a, a, a certified nursing assistant. You got a couple weeks where you can take a course and then you get in and you're at the very, you know, literal bottom, you know, of the totem pole, so to speak. Um, and it sucks because I don't think we have pathways like that in security um, where people could get it, you know, the the security person, which is probably going to be automated when it's all said and done, that very, very low, lower, you know, level um, individual or role will definitely likely be automated. But then if you have like a certain level of um, education and or training or whatever it is, getting in at various levels so that we don't feel like, you know, every role is a 15 year or 10 year experience role. And I can understand why leaders and you probably, probably will beat me up on this, you know, especially especially when some leaders it turn you turn over so fast it's kind of hard to bring in you know newbies and then you know it takes for someone that's brand spanking new it's going to take them a couple you know at least 18 months of i think about the rotation programs that i participate that i've been you know have led and participated and recruited for you know by the time that person gets really under an understanding of like what corporate is <laughs> how to send an email and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like 18 months, you know, it takes a little bit of time for that's the okay. average person. That's okay. A leader is gone in 18 months. Like this. <laughs> okay, that's not okay. Yeah. There's systematic ways that we need to fix these, but like for medical students, have you spoken to a medical student? They don't know anything. They're, they don't even know how to draw blood. They're so bad at being a doctor, and they're, like, literally babies. Like I've been in a hospital where the medical students are in their early 20s, and, you know, I'm 40 now. So I'm looking at these little babies and I'm like, don't touch me. I don't want you to touch me. I do not trust you. Like, I don't care what school you went to. You know nothing. Like, I would rather them learn and take their time learning 
and then you can go ahead and do things. But like in the meantime, please just do baby things. I don't want you to touch me. The comparison <laughs> of the comparison of medical school and cybersecurity are are relevant in a lot of different ways. But there's also an aspect of medicine where those jobs require less, right? Where you can take a ITT tech um, kind of thing. I think it was Jarek um, um, uh, Beeson, who's the CISO over at Epic. Um, I think he was an ITT tech commercial because that's how he got into cyber. He um, he like um, he he took a course and he got a job. Like he took one of their like ITT tech cybersecurity courses, and and he was literally in one of their commercials. I'm pretty sure it's Jarek. I might be wrong, but there's there's an aspect of of one terminology number two um the biggest challenge we have in cyber to medical and we're not talking about it and here it goes ready time today is the liberal arts degree <laughs> 16 yes. minutes. 12 minutes today um here goes liberal arts okay. you go to a school for cyber and they tell you you're going to get a job right out when you finish for 80 grand a year, 90 grand a year. And you're going to be making bank and don't worry about it. And so people leave with that expectation. When you go to medical school, you realize for the next 10 years, you're broke. You're living with your parents. You're going to be doing 18, 19, 20 hour days. Mm -hmm. Once you're in residency, I, I have cousins who went to medical school and I have several of my cousins who are doctors mm -hmm. And like, I remember Thanksgiving, like they would show up with their books, right? Like we'd be getting drunk and they're sitting there like, you know, I gotta, I gotta study more and more and more of this stuff. Right. And, and that's just, th that was the price they were paying to, to pursue their dream of being a doctor. And they knew they weren't going to make a lot of money. They knew they weren't going to make a lot of money for at least 15 years from the moment they went to school. Right. So if you go to school at 18, you realize that you're going to go through your twenties drinking PBR and going to happy hour at the bar. Like that's what you're going to do because you're not going to have a lot of money. And, um, and that's, that's the challenge in cyber is the expectations by the universities is you're going to get this 80 grand a year job right when you get out. There's no partnership between the university like there is in medical school, right? Mm -hmm. You go to the university, the med school typically has a hospital locally that they do a partnership with where you can do your residency, where they work with lo local doctor offices like family practices or urgent cares to send you there. Universities haven't done that in cyber because cyber isn't mature yet. It doesn't have that level of medical we should strive for it we should work towards it right mm -hmm. i know that, like for example at the university of north georgia their their program um takes you into the military so instead of enlisting at 18 you enlist at 18 but you go to school till you're 22 and then you're really in active duty at the age of 22 but you've already got your college education so you're getting four years in the military or they do a two six year meaning two years active duty and then four years of reserves where they're, you know, part of a national guard unit or part of a, uh, a weekend unit during, during, you know, the winter months. And then in the summer they do two weeks. I mean, those programs do exist from the military side because there, there have been a few comments on here. I think it was Jamil that brought something up that the best way to go about this is through the military. Mm -hmm. um, I believe Jamal Ali said that. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, so we have that kind of set up through the military, but we don't have it set up from an education infrastructure with the private sector. 
Right. Well, here, here's a question for you guys and, and try to answer in like the most educated guess possible. But what percentage of people trying to break into cybersecurity do it for the money? What do you think? I think a high percentage. 22%. Okay, that's very specific. Wait, so Renee, you think it's higher than 22%? I'm doing the prices right here. This is the prices right model, right? One dollar. I'm doing doing 21.9%. Well, Renee, you think it's higher. What do you think it is? Closer to? I think it's probably 50. Interesting. I think yeah. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I don't know if it's as low as 22. I don't think that's high enough. But I think some people are, they, they see the numbers. They say, hey, it must be really easy. There's negative unemployment in cybersecurity. It must be super easy to get a job. Oh, it pays 80 grand coming out of school. It must be super great. Like no one's telling them the truth or they're just seeing those headlines, the clickbait headlines. Mm-hmm. Thank you, James. And then they just get tricked and tricked and tricked. And now we're seeing people give but up. Th- but that's the I thing. Don't... So. Sorry, Renee, go ahead, go ahead. James. No, go. You go. No, but that's okay. the thing is we should address the clickbait headlines, right? If we're going to address some issue. of these challenges, yeah. let's. So, how many of you guys click an article that says hackers instead of cyber criminals? I don't. If mm, I see okay. hackers, if I see hackers got into, you know, so and so, I'm like, and and I will literally write the person who wrote the article, and I'll call them out on my practitioner brief, and I'm like, hey, uh, jerk off. It's cyber criminals. They're cyber, cyber criminals. Crime, yeah. Right? Cyber crime. They're cyber criminals. That's what they are. They're not hackers. I can introduce you to hackers. They're the nicest people I know. <laughs> I love hackers. I have a lot of hacker okay, friends. Chris Roberts. <laughs> We're just regular but, criminals. But They're just true. criminals. Yeah. But it's yeah. true. It's true it because true. we use, but, but that's part of it is terminology, right? When someone's a, a, a resident in, in, the, in, the, in, in medical, right? And you're, you know, like Naomi said, you go to a hospital and you see this 26-year-old coming to poke you. You're like, whoa, hang <laughs> on away. there, Chad. Slow down, buddy. What are then you doing? I need the seasoned nurse to, to stick me. <laughs> the, they are so, so, so clueless. They are clueless. Yeah, like this is where an Esther or a Ruth makes me comfortable, right? Like I want a Ruth. A Ruth is an old person name. I want an old person, yeah. Give me an old person for that. Give me an old person. I agree. I uh, 100% agree. Okay, good comments coming on here. So, (laughs) Jason's so silly. (laughs) What's an Esther and a Ruth? You go all the way back. (laughs) Happy April 1st, guys. Happy April 1st, Clinton Walker. Um, okay, Sean says, yeah, IBM currently has an apprenticeship here in Salem, Oregon for entry-level positions with basic knowledge and skills regarding security and IT. So um, that is correct. Do you hear an echo? You guys hear an echo with me? Not anymore. No? No, not anymore. All right. John De La Cruz says, would internships be a solution? The military has a program that allows internships while still in active duty. I'm awaiting final approval and I'll be interning with a company as an InfoSec analyst in GRC later this year. I think internships would be fantastic. But, but, but the military does have these programs. Universities don't. And the universities that are trying to do it also, by the way, one of the biggest challenges of buy-in is CISOs. Like, we can throw this at the universities, but I know a lot of universities that go to CISOs and go to organizations and say, would you take our students as interns or or in an apprenticeship program? And they go, no, we don't, we don't, we don't have the capacity. We don't have the time. That's, that's really where I think um, the challenge is 
with the, you know, the big, huge companies, they can pick up internship programs and CISO programs and, um, you know, summer programs and apprenticeship programs in some universities. Like I remember it was Penn, uh, not Penn State, Drexel University. Mm -hmm. I had a person on for October and he talked about how Drexel for 100 years has been doing apprenticeships, co-ops. That's what they do. You go to school for six months, you work for six months. You go to school for six months, you work for six months. So at the end of the four years, you have two years of experience and a, and a four-year degree. Um, and that's the way their organization works. And, you know, I, I think they have this ridiculously high, um, you know, recruitment rate or placement rate of their students because now you have real-world experience along with theory. Um, and it's it's really unfortunate that more universities aren't, doing um partnering at a at a high level like i don't think it's a i think it's more like university board and organization board so that when it's already kind of in place and it's running and then the, the whatever CISO plops in it's like this thing is already <laughs> i mean to be realistic if a CISO's there for 18 months like you know if if i had to come into a place and it's like hey you got to fix this thing you have to stand up this program you have to do these things and then, oh, and by the way, you got to groom up some some newbies. Like, realistically, what James was talking about, the time span, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. So what is going to get the priority? Um, so I just feel like it should be above that. So whatever one pops in, it's like the internship thing is already going. Like, it's already kind of like its own machine that's going. And whoever comes in and out, you just, you know, you're just the leader at, 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 you know, at that moment. I love that idea. My, my school, Stevens, did the co-op program, too, and it was optional. Like, you could do it if you wanted to. But it really comes down to, like, what's the point of university? Is it to get a job at the end of it or is it to just learn, like, a liberal arts degree, James? Like, what is the purpose of your degree? Is it to get a job? And I think the cost of college now has made it so the only point of getting a college degree is to have to pay for it at the end. So if you get a degree and it's a useless degree, you won't be able to pay for it. So the entire point of college is to pay off liberal arts. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think if we wanted to really address this issue of like just jobs or jobs not being filled in cybersecurity, is like first let's take a look at college expenses and ask why they're so expensive in the first place. Is it to get a job in the first place and pay for that? If it is, college is overpriced. We need to lower it. We need to bring it back down to whatever it was in the 90s, in the early 90s when uh, administrative costs were a lot lower. And so you've got college degrees that you can pay for with $6,000 and you were done. Like my husband went to Penn State. I think he paid $2,000 a semester. It was ridiculous. And he graduated in 1998. So it's not like that crazy. Like we can do this. But now Penn State is something like what, 40 grand? And it's a public school. It's kind of ridiculous. 40 grand a year is probably more than that. My school, Stevens, started at 22 when I was a freshman. I think now it's in the 60s. There's no way I could have gone to that school. And it's only been 20 years. So yeah. we have to talk about that. So so the the there, there's a good comment about like predatory school cost. It's actually really interesting because someone um i know very you know within our org actually did a did a very quick survey to see how many universities raised their tuition during covid and 97% did come on oh, right no. and you're like you guys didn't have any classrooms mm. yeah you guys didn't you guys could enroll a lot more students in a class at this point so you don't have that cost limitation 
Yeah, the value isn't there for the students. I mean, it's right. just overhead. It's literally administrative costs. Like, why are you built? You're building new buildings now. It's like, yeah. no, I don't know what they're doing. It's a lot of money. Really good comments in here, and I'm gonna go a little bit backwards. So Mafu says, "Poor liberal arts students getting roasted weekly on this podcast." <laughs> Hashtag No Mercy from James. Omg. Zoe says, all through high school, I was told that a bachelor's degree is the new high school diploma and you need a bachelor's degree to get a job. Yeah. And, you know, I think Zoe makes such a good point because people just say a bachelor's degree, a bachelor's degree. And that's where, you know, James is liberal arts and like, you know, basket weaving. Oh, I have a bachelor's degree now. So you spend all this money. You have a degree that you still have to go work in Starbucks. What are we doing? So, um, that not that working be- at Starbucks is a bad thing outside of working for an evil coffee hoarding giant that doesn't make good coffee anymore. But, um, <clears throat> did I say that loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> did that- <laughs> there's nothing wrong with working at Starbucks. Starbucks is never but there's nothing wrong with being a barista. There's nothing wrong with, there are some at people all. who have a passion for coffee and, you know, that's their thing. But to go and, and take on $80,000 worth of debt that's in college, cool. To work at a Starbucks doesn't make any sense. 80 times four. Yeah. Yeah. 80 times four. Like, you're not going to make that 10 years working at Starbucks. Nope. David Brin says, every industry has the automation fair, but that's where new roles and jobs will grow up around automation because people still have to do the response work and, quote, people work in between the automated tasks. The fear-mongering around automation can really derail progress and innovation if we let it discourage wanting to engage with the industry. Yeah. Well, so the thing about automation is automation's really taken away some of the roles that, you know, are, are really mundane. Naomi's got to drop by Naomi. Hey. Um, it's, it's really... Um, it's 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 really kind of the idea that automation is is going to take away the roles that are a little more mundane, right? Rather than you know the more technical roles. So think of like tier one analyst. It's not going to eliminate tier one analyst altogether, but it's going to make it so that there instead of ten, I got four, and those four are really smart, sharp people that know how to get the job done. Exactly. I like David Brent's other comment. The clickbait education posts are a huge problem in every, quote, hot industry of the moment. Education platforms are becoming predatory with the practice, too. I agree. 100%. Um, Almost everyone that's reached out to me, it was a university, um, you know, that has, it's like clickbait education types and people are frustrated. Like they get into these programs and I I was on a, I was on a call, a zoom a few weeks ago with women in a program and they felt like they didn't, they were like, I don't know what I'm taking away here. Like it was a lot of policy, a lot of, you know, they expected more technical, they expected just more hands-on and they did not receive that. Um, and these are women that were transitioning from other careers. And so it's just, you know, I really see like the education, that click 80 education, hey, $80,000 job, you know, fresh out of school, here we go, flashing in front of people, people want to earn a living, they think this is what it is, you know, they don't come up with these, they don't just come up with these <laughs> mysterious numbers. Nobody tells you, hey, you could go work at 
Starbucks and get eighty thousand dollars being a brand new barista. Like, no, they tell but, you the, the the situation at hand. But I think that's part of the kind of challenge with education, you know, ed, ed, like universities and colleges now, right? Is they develop these curriculums, which in some cases are outdated. So not every degree, by the way, is created equal. Not every cybersecurity de- degree is really going to prepare you for what you need to do. Um, so as you're trying to break into cyber, especially if you're already in a career, it's really cool to just cross over your company and talk to the people who are in cyber and get an idea from them. Um, find out what's going on and find out how much money they, they stand to make and then go from there. The challenge we have today is that we're trying to fill the cybersecurity job gap at the high school level. And the thing about it is we could literally, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, and I don't know if they still exist. I mean, you know, I've, I've, but in high school, they used to have like vocational training. Yeah. They right. Them. For students who just were not very um, book smart, but they were very like craft smart. They used hands to go to vocational hands. school, mm-hmm. right. They'd learn how to be auto mechanics or mm-hmm. airplane mechanics. And they would get some credits that would later translate for them to go to a technical college and finish their schooling within two years. And by the age of 20, they've got a job. Yeah. We kind of need to do the same in cyber, which is yep. how do we create a vocational school in high school for kids that are really computer smart, you know, or network smart that have already built their own computers at the age of 10. Right. Right. Yeah. There, there are some, it's not across the board. Um, right. I- but that's why we need to run for school board positions Right. Like I know that I am going to be running, I think, for school board um, to really shape the school board, because that's where we have to do it is run for school board. Typically, you're going to run unopposed because no one ever runs for school board (laughs) because it's such a crappy little thing to run for. But run for school board. Right. And fight the good fight. Don't fall into the people who've been in the school board for 30 years. Right. Like. Just go to those people and challenge them with the status quo. Be very active with within your district and within the schools and get allies within within the teachers that really want to do this and principals because we do need to start looking at this differently. When you look at why Russia and China produce so many smart technical people, it's because they address it at a very young age. They yeah. take the vocational you know, nerds. And they put them through programs. So by the age of 16, these guys are ready to earn money. Yeah. And we kind of have this thing here where we're almost sheeplessly sheeply walking into this herded herded future, right? Of you got to finish high school and graduate at 18 and you should go to college. And by 22, you should get your degree. And then you go and you work at some entry-level job somewhere, um, for a few years, maybe you meet your significant others, maybe you don't, maybe you get married, maybe you don't, you be you, travel the world, work a few years, save some money, do your thing. And we're not really allowing people to be that unique. That's true. Danielle says, James for school, but he has my vote. Thank you. I appreciate the vote. Of <laughs> I've got two votes. Now I just need a few thousand more. <laughs> Maybe you'll convince me to run in Northern Virginia. You should run. So, so um, 
Awesome, awesome, good, great comments coming in. Let me pull some. Mafus. Uh, ah, yes. Another week, another insightful conversation on Still Thursdays. Glad to be here. See you, James Azar. He put a U in there. He says, I'm British, so I, I added Mephus. in the extra letter U. That is so funny. Azar. A-Z-A-U-R. And then I think this is Chris Van Gorda. Yep, he says, see so Thursdays. Hey, Chris, good to have you here. Um, Mafus talks about huge respect for doctors. Definitely not a career to get into for the crazy money. Likely the only thing crazier you're working out is in the effort you'll need. Yep, for sure. Um, Mafus also says, James says, I want, quote, I want an Esther or a Ruth. <laughs> Like, we want some old people. We want some nurses that have been there. Doing well, he says James is also a biblical name, right? Yes, Which is very, James very true. Is James too. is a biblical very name. I have a very, very old school true. biblical name. So, that yeah, I'm all for it. True. I just don't want it, James to poke me. I feel much more happy when it's a <laughs> when it's I am just that. I feel, I feel like. You're much more relaxed. You're zen. Yeah, I feel like male nurses don't really like, they're not as, you know, caring. I feel like they're just going to come and be like, don't be a little, you know, you don't cry it. about this. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in a, you know, a, a Ruth would, would just be like, it's okay, Grandma. sweetie. Here it comes. And you're like, okay, okay. brilliant. Here's a big boy. Here's a lollipop. Yeah. Um, Manish says, I'm curious to know how to join an entry level position. So Manish, we talk about this every single week. Um, you know, join our 221 and 2021 campaign. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but that's a, a, a great place to start where we can look at your resume and try to get you into the fold of people um, that can give some advice as to what you need to do to try to break into the industry. Um, I already po posted David's comment about the clickbait education and Zoe's comment about high school. Uh, while we're on high school, I am I partner a lot with a high school called Marshall High School. I've gone and spoken to their cyber students um, they have an academy, and it's fantastic. In Northern Virginia, there's a it's called the Governor Cyber Academy. So the governor of Virginia, you know, has a number of schools where they do the vocational component. So it's a it's an academy where you have like you know there's um I believe there's an auto mechanic component, there's a cybersecurity component. One of the students was on our podcast last year talking about you know all of the certifications that he had gotten in high school by taking these classes. Um, AWS had come in and partner and they were teaching the students stuff. So it definitely is, you know, but again, it's few and far between. It's not every high school, you know, and it's an elective and parents have to, you know, students have to learn about it. Parents have to learn about it and kind of, you know, encourage the student or sign the student up. And to me, a lot of this stuff should be relatively, you know, like a, an entry course like a mandatory kind of entry course. And then if you like it, then you can potentially make it your quote major or, you know, go into that direction for your last two years of school. Um, Danielle says, hello, Mr. Yesterday, James, happy birthday to your significant other. Thank you, Danielle. Yes. Um, I think this comment is from, what's this comment from? I think this might be Chris again, Chris Van Gorder. But it says, I really like it, but I have more time in the chat line than someone, some newly minted MBA who did all six years of college back to back. And they come and tell me I got to show them some sort of respect, which is, oh, the chow line. He said, I, I really like where I'm in the chow line. 
Um, and it's true, you know, having real world experience is nothing in comparison. There's just nothing like this theory that we can learn all we want, but being on the ground, hearing, you know, doing the thing is just so very important. David says, my UMGC network admin program in each course is literally a facilitator grading discussions and making sure we complete the labs from test out study platforms and grade two to three projects. Valuable? Yes. Valuable enough to pay the university's per credit hour cost. Not so much. So, yeah, I've heard this. I've heard this before. Yeah, Some that's why universities are. are that, that's why universities, I think, is an old model. Yeah. It's a dying model. It's a dying industry. A lot of them are struggling. You know, um, in, in a decade, you know, there's a documentary called The Last Blockbuster. In about 10 years, we'll see The Last University. Yeah. I think that the, 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 the Ivies, you know, there'll be a handful that make it out and then the rest are just going to, um, going to fall. I think, I think the Western governor style university, the WJU, yeah. are going to be the style of the future, you know. Absolutely. Two to three grand a semester. Go do yeah. your work. Take as many classes as you want. Take as many classes as you want. Right. Finish and be done. You want and, and you're done. Yep. Um, Chris Van Gorder says, uh, or someone who tells us we just have to quote nerd harder, <laughs> which is true. It's like work, yeah. nerd, 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 you know, be everything. It's like you're a student. They're supposed to, you're supposed to not know everything. Like what Naomi said about the brand newbie, you know, physicians. They don't know everything. You need practice. Um, okay, David says at Code Ninjas we approach approach and present our coding and programming curriculum for kids seven to fourteen as a vocational program. Add on to what the school should be teaching. We focus on the skills and mindset, not so much cranking out quote programmers, but rather digital savvy and conversant kids who may not even need college to move forward if they persist in practicing and learning these skills. That's pretty awesome, David. My son was going to a program. He's about to go back. It's a program called STEM Tree, and it's very similar. So they do a little bit of electrical engineering. They do a little bit, you know, it's just STEM. So they right. rotate around, and they do, um, you know, and he was just super excited to get to the point where he could start doing coding in Java, and he's nine. Um, Zoe says, will doing the school board thing work, though, when there are, quote, gatekeepers at higher levels? James? Um, yes and no. So when you're in the school board, you're able to influence and just getting your voice out there. I think the one thing about running for a school board is don't expect to get a lot done your first term, but it, when allies, and unfortunately, like all things in politics, yeah, there are people who are gatekeepers, but if you win enough allies, you're able to influence and, and, and get change where change needs to be done. And when it comes to middle school and high school, I think that's really, really important because we can have high school kids leave high school ready to join the job force. They don't have to go to college, but our school boards are running away where, you know, kind of like what I think Chris said earlier, Hey, I did six years of school. I've got an MBA. I've never worked a day in my life, but you need to show me some respect because there is an MBA behind my name. Um, you know, you it's just BS. Run for school board, make noise, build allies, drive change. And you build allies, not just with parents, but also with educators, educators who have the same sentiment that we do, which is we're teaching a bunch of BS. Um, we're not really preparing these kids for real life. And then they go to college 
And it's even worse in college because I think most universities don't prepare kids for real life either. Yeah. Really good points. Mofu says, I think many cyber industry issues stem from the age of of the industry. The industry was lumped in with general IT only a decade or so ago. Degrees for cyber specifically didn't really exist a decade ago. And things are so fast moving here while our educational institutes and and mechanisms go through the workforce of our nations, our train are much slower to change. What do you think about this train of thought? I do believe that, you know, the the cyber industry is a young industry. It is. Um, it's only been around a few years. I was talking to a number of CISOs. I mean, almost anybody that's been around probably 10 to 15 plus years, but mostly around that range. I would ask them, how'd you get into security? And almost every single time they were in some other area. Like, oh, we were in IT and, you know, they asked for volunteers or I was voluntold to go take on this project. And, you know, that's how I ended up from being a sysadmin to being a security, you know, engineer or whatever. And so we're still working through the growing pains of having um, an early, a young industry. So... Yeah. Danielle says, I'm excited about my daughter's school just approved funding for the robotics club. Good. Exciting. All this talk of vocational options for cyber, more work-focused teaching, and better education to job pathways in cyber. I'll bet it with all it will all materialize in due time. No, it will, but the question is, could we push it to get it done quicker? Faster. Yeah. Right. Yep. I've heard very good things about WGU. Definitely a trailblazer. Yep. Western Governors University. For those who haven't heard about them before, a lot of folks on here have um, heard about it. Jamal says, Mafus, my seventh grader is interested in computer engineering. So for the past couple of years, I've taught how to build PCs and try to expose them to Linux, Python, via Udemy, et cetera, to put him where he wants to be. So, yeah, you know, it just goes back to, and we love hearing your comments, um, everyone. That's why Cecil Thursdays is so much fun. It's not only us. It's the whole community (laughs) making their comments and talking about all of these things. Um, And there's such great ideas out there, you know. Um, So, James, I'm with you. I think I think boards as a whole. So school boards and, you know, corporate boards and education boards, education boards, state education board. (laughs) I mean, we've got to, you know, we can't expect the people who haven't changed a thing in 50 years to do changes now because we talk about it on a podcast. We either have to be the drivers of change or, you know, we can just, you know, pack up and sit tight and just wait for something, you know, to happen. And and we can't wait for something to happen. We got to make something happen and we've got to be able to take that risk and go out there and, 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 put ourselves out there to, to do that. I think there's a need right now, especially because kids are becoming tech savvy at such a young age, right? Because they use smartphones and smart devices. Yeah. A few weeks ago, Naomi shared the story of how her seven-year-old beat the, beat the uh, controls that the school had on their issued, you know, iPads. iPads. <laughs> um, so kids like to, to twerk and play around with these things and, and natural with, tinkers right so let them tinkle and let's give them the opportunity to tinkle twerk <laughs> i said twerk and i was just like that's not right twerk um, and tinkle 
Quark and Tinkle. Tinker. Oh my God. We're... <laughs> um, James, what are you watching on the side over there? <laughs> I am watching nothing, honestly. I've, I've, I've got nothing around. I'm trying to be very focused today. Um, but but that's, that's one of the things we really need to do is allow the kids who want to tinkle with stuff go at it and, and develop a career while doing it. Because at the end of the day, learning cyber doesn't mean you can become a CISO. In order to become a CISO, you still need to do business. So doing vocational school in cyber while you're in high school and middle school and then starting your career still means you have to go to college, right? Because if you want to become a CISO, if you want to become a senior vice president, if you want to become a director of InfoSec, you're going to have to have some degree and you're going to need to understand the business, not just cyber. Right. And so you're going to have to go and get on continued education. It's not just enough to know how to use, you know, Cali Lennox and, you know, Shodan and whatnot. That's just not enough. And some, you know, I'm, I can think I can speak on the Marshall Academy students. Most of them, I, the vast majority of them are going to college. The, 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 the student who came on who had completed all those courses and all of those um, certifications, he was studying for his various certs. He was going to, I can't remember which school, but he was going to college, you know, like the, the students go off to college, you know, the ones who need to work or can work in parallel do. Um, I know I had heard that AWS was offering like co-ops and internships to some of those students in particular or having them, you know, come and apply and participate. And so it just gives, builds more opportunities. It's not, not necessarily going for each person they have different paths but it's getting the hands-on real world while you're getting the formalized um education so (laughs) my foods what the hell is tinkle (laughs) tinkle it means messing around with things i know it's very hard for the brits to understand that tinkerers when I think tinkle, I think of a lot for you. Tinkle's my new word. <laughs> I'm adding it to the dictionary. Someone go to Wikipedia right now. It's, it's James's, the, the, the James dictionary. How do we blend that together? James and Ari. Danielle says, Renee, I know how you feel about the $20 lobster, but I don't have experience in only education. What about selling myself as part-time at minimum wage for experience? So, Danielle, I know I'm trying to think back to the $20 lobster conversation. I think that was um, that was Christy Rutherford, right, a few weeks ago talking about, you know, if you see a $20 lobster and a $1,000 lobster, which lobster are you going to go with? And they look exactly the same. Um, and I was like, I would be questioning, you know, thinking with my recruiter brain on sometimes people tend to undercharge themselves. And sometimes it doesn't align. So when you're too cheap so to speak it's like well what's wrong with the person what are they missing why are they what you know why are they asking for half the money that they typically would get um but yeah when you don't have experience and you only have education and you're trying to break in and get experience yeah you want to sell yourself and get that experience then the next go round, you could be the 50 dollars lobster or the 100 dollars lobster so uh charles says you are right about the education what was this here? It says LinkedIn user. Um, 
Ed Felton used to have a blog called From Freedom to Tinker. I think that's Chris again. Yeah, Chris Van Gorder. Oh, here's the website. Freedomtotinker.com. And Tinkle, yes. Kids speak for use the comfort room. <laughs> Potty time, Tinkle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Always fun times on this show. James, you look like you want to say something. No, I mean, I, we talk a lot about this stuff, and, and I know we're always bringing out these topics, but I think it's important that we look at what we can actually take away from it and really derive towards really making progress, right? And I think that starts with the idea of just um, – I think it just starts with the idea of we have to kind of take it forward and just really hammer this this point home and use our circle of influence beyond cyber, right? Getting outside of our echo chamber. So when you, you, know, you sit with someone who's – I, I sat a few weeks ago at dinner with someone who's a professor at a university at a very big university. And we were having a conversation around cyber and the person who I was sitting with goes, yeah, we don't really, you know, talk about it much in class or at the university. You know, we have the program, we have the degree, but we don't really cross it over with other stuff. And I was like, why not? Why are we just still, showing cyber as a function of it and not as a function of business. Why are we not addressing some of these gaps that exist? Because the people who are kind of developing the, the craft from an education perspective, don't get it either. Right. I think, um, you know, it, it kind of goes to things like anything that's foreign or different, or that they don't fully understand, um, is just going to be probably challenging to add into the conversation um, or the curriculum. And you know, Chris would, if he was on here, he would talk about how ridiculous and, and difficult it is to change curriculums around, which is fascinating when everything moves so quickly. Um, and so you have a struggle with folks that are, you know, that are teaching one thing. Um, I, I remember I was laughing at my, my dad passed a couple of years ago and he was a computer science professor. And my dad was well into his seventies, you know, he was still teaching. And I was like, what are you teaching these people? <laughs> what are you, you know, like your notes still look like the notes from whenever, you know, are these, are these, are these students, what are they taking away from this? And um, it's, it's, there has to be, to your point, a way where we kind of move things forward. You know, one of the things that I, I was listening to this morning is that Goldman Sachs is now going to be offering their clients Bitcoin. And, you know, if you ask somebody last year, whenever cryptocurrency is like, ah, I don't know, what is that? Or, you know, it's just as we evolve, we have to input. It has to become a part of the curriculum. Look, um, I want to raise the red flag here. Okay. I want to raise it and I want to raise it now. And I think it's the idea of how fast we evolve. Okay. We look at where we are today as a country. And I'm talking specifically right now, Western developed nations. So that even means you, Mafuz, over 
across the <laughs> pond. Okay. Cause I think this is really important for us to understand. I say this as someone who's, and I want to preface this. I've traveled to six continents. I've been in over a hundred countries, never in a layover, meaning I've actually spent time in over a hundred countries I don't count countries where I may have laid over, but never left the airport. We are set back. We are set back. Our kids are way back in terms of their ability to, to adapt to the new economy. When you wonder why so many jobs get outsourced in tech, why there's so many different companies over in India or in Eastern Europe that do software development, it's not just the price It's that those people are educated at such a young age to do this stuff and they're encouraged to do it. Meanwhile, we are almost training our kids to go through a process that sometimes makes no sense. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like not every college isn't for everyone. Let's agree to that. I don't think that's controversial, right? School isn't for everyone. Different people need different things. And we have to start understanding that humans are not all alike in the aspect of we are each unique in our own different way. That's why DNA is such an amazing thing, right? Because our DNA is unique to you. Seven billion people in the world, seven different types, seven billion different types of DNA exist out there unless, you know, you count twins and all that because I'm sure someone will be like really smart and be like, that's not true. There's 6.8 billion unique DNAs. But nonetheless, there's all these different things that are all happening right now, and we need to start adapting quicker. We can't, we can't anymore look at this and go, well, you know, we're a young industry. We're 10, 15 years old. Well, then you wonder why China's got a cyber army and a cyber APT workforce that's nearly a million people large, right? Why 8,200 in Israel is like, I think 8,200 now, the cyber units in IDF make around 30 or 35% of the military force. So 35% of the Israeli military is cyber and computer related. In Russia, they teach these kids in middle school how to code. No, They've got developers in middle school writing. Right. So, so, you know, we got to knock this stuff off. We got to stop this whole thing of just, you know, we got to create and we don't need. And Danielle asks, how do you feel about standardized Texas, uh, testing? I think it's the worst thing on the planet. I know that we got to judge people by some level, but not everyone is the same. I didn't go to college. I didn't. I tried. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. Now I'm re-enlisting, right? I'm, I got to go and get it done. But, but I'm doing it for a different reason than to get a job. Yeah. Right. And I was an entrepreneur when I finished school, when, when I left and I went to the military and I came back and yes, I got a job, but then I became an entrepreneur because I realized that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to work and I did my entrepreneurship and I traveled the world and I sold companies and I've done that. But how many people like me actually get there? And I'm not unique. I'm not special. I just followed a path that w- the, the the road less traveled. Yeah. Excellent point, James. Okay, more comments. People by nature do not like change, but those that have the vision always make it work somehow. Absolutely true. 
John says, sounds to me like getting out there and quote politicking with decision makers and influencers to help bring about that change. Yes. That is correct. Warren says, in InfoSec, everyone has to keep learning constantly. It is very difficult to find people willing and able to do so. Very that true. It's so true. Mafu says, 100 companies is such a win. That is amazing. Yes. Thank you, Mafus. He is amazing. Clinton says, the problem is we have a lot of hardcore academics who have never worked in industry, hence the lack of true knowledge transferred through learning and real experience. In addition, we have still have people boxing in everything cybersecurity into IT when it's as equal, <laughs> mic drop, right, <laughs> when it's as equal as any other business function. The academy, the uh, industry, the academic industry needs more industry experts to enhance learning and add great value through experience. Amen. That's Clinton's mic drop right Hallelujah. here. Hallelujah. And the mic dropping Clinton Walker. You are absolutely 100% correct. Um, Zoe is laughing at the fact that uh, she's 85.6% sure twin DNA is unique, but I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Uh, China agrees with James. Charles says, someone does not need to go to college in order to know how to code. You are absolutely right, Charles. But coding should be made available at every single school. It should be. And today, that's not the case. Babies can code. I mean, that little stem tree, when my son said he wanted to be a sockware, S-O-C-K-ware engineer <laughs> at four years old, I was like, okay, I got to find you a stem camp. And we went to this place. And he's six, I think five or six, and they were using Scratch and they learned how to code in Scratch. And, you know, it's not foreign. Like James said, all these other places, these first graders and second graders and third graders, you grow up with this skill, just like you learn how to read, just like you learn how to write. Like it should be at this stage of the game, a part of core education. Um and we have to run guys soon. So I'm going to put a couple more comments up here and then wrap. So Clinton says, amen. Hallelujah. All the signs. <laughs> yes, Clinton. Clinton, you are preaching today. Uh, David says the industry needs to allow more interested intellectuals get to get the practical experience too. So, I can't tell you how many cyber professors I've spoken with in universities that have never in a day been in a sock crazy. or have never, you know, done anything in cyber They've just essentially taken a degree and, you know, if you can't do teach, what is that? Is, is that, is that right? If you can't, if, if you can't do teach and you're like, like yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> that's dumb. Clinton nailed it in the head. He did. Clinton's comment. Clinton, you take the, you take the, award. we don't have awards, but you take it for today, whichever one it is. We got to come up with one, an award for the day. Best comment. Folks, thank you so, so much for being here. Um, I saw some YouTube people, so I'm super excited. Please, please, please go and subscribe to our YouTube channel and make sure you get, because with YouTube, it pops up. So if you're subscribed, you'll see when we're coming on live. Um, we are excited for all of you who weren't here last week. We shared that the Breaking Into Cybersecurity um, podcast series is now partnered up, married up with James Azar's CISO Talk World and Series. And so we're all, you know, we were a happy family, but now we are official, official. Um, so more to come with that. Thank you again for all your awesome comments. And we will see you again next Thursday. Bye, everybody. 
in the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity. Your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.